You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany Sermon Series, Wise, Life as Gift, Not Gain. In this series from Ecclesiastes, we'll learn to see life as fundamentally a gift to receive and enjoy, not a hill to climb or a gain to achieve. This path of wisdom teaches us to live in the uncertainty and tensions of life under the sun. Now hear the word of the Lord from Ecclesiastes 7 verses 1 through 14. A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume, and the day you die is better than the day you are born. Better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies so the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. Better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. A fool's laughter is quickly gone, like thorns crackling in a fire. This also is meaningless. Extortion turns wise people into fools, and bribes corrupt the heart. Finishing is better than starting. Patience is better than pride. Control your temper, for anger labels you a fool. Don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. Wisdom is even better when you have money. Both are a benefit as you go through life. Wisdom and money can get you almost anything, but only wisdom can save your life. Accept the way God does things, for who can straighten what he has made crooked? Enjoy prosperity while you can. But when hard times strike, realize that both come from God. Remember that nothing is certain in this life. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. It's good to see you guys. My name is Jonah, and I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. Um, Our mission at Sojourn is to reach people with the gospel, uh, build them up as the church of Christ, and send them to follow Jesus in the world. And I'm thankful that you guys have joined us here this morning to be a part of that. Uh, A special thank you to those who served at our health and wellness clinic yesterday. Uh, It was really incredible. Um, My dad thought so. (laughs) This side of the room, not so much. Um, uh, But yeah, uh, part of what was so incredible is seeing the willingness of our church to serve Uh, the expertise that we have in our church, and the ability uh, for our church to gather so many different community partners together. And uh, I'm really excited to see what might come of that. So it was a real joy to serve our community and see all these organizations partnering together. So thank you. I'm pretty sure everybody was there. So thank you guys who were there. I was just overwhelmed by how many folks were there. Um, It was really sweet, and I'm proud of our church for that work. Um, As a child... I wanted to be a comic book artist when I grew up, Uh, and so if you go into my parents' storage facility, you will find, or their storage unit, I guess, um, you'll find old sketchbooks with characters I invented, and I bought books that taught you how to draw comic book characters and all the different methods and anatomy books, and I was pretty set on uh, building or becoming a, a comic book artist, and then somewhere, somewhere between third and fifth grade, I think it was fourth or fifth grade, uh, I, I sat down and met, met a young man named Matt Collender, and he said, hey, you draw comic books too? I was like, yeah, I do. And he's like, what, what's your favorite? I said, I love drawing Iron Man. And Matt Collender drew me a picture of Iron Man at the lunch table, and that's when I knew I would never be a comic book artist. <laughs> you met someone and they just got it. 
And I practice all the time, and he's sitting there, and in two minutes drew something that was far beyond anything that I could have done. Um, in middle school, I thought maybe I'd be an athlete. Uh, my, my father was a, an athlete of some acclaim, and uh, so I practiced and I practiced. And then I met Matt Wilson. There's a theme of Matt's revealing my own weaknesses in life. I met Matt Wilson and realized I would probably never be a, a real athlete. Um, years went by, I thought I'd be a businessman. I, I met another Matt uh, who was really good at numbers and spreadsheets, and I realized I would probably never be a businessman. Um, I thought maybe I'd be a musician after that. I met a friend named Chris, and I listened to him sing, <laughs> and I realized I would never be a musician. You get the idea, I think. Um, it seems to me that the early stages of our life are filled with possibilities and open doors. If you're here and you're under 40, you likely grew up being told that you could do anything and you could become anything. Just work hard. Don't give up. As you get older, most of us will quietly hear those childhood doors begin to close. Sometimes they close suddenly and painfully, and sometimes they close gently and subtly with the passing of time. Um, at, at some point, you realize that if I marry this person, I won't be able to marry anybody else. If I take this job, I won't be able to do any of those other jobs that I dreamed about. Maybe you've been at Sojourn for a while and you can remember when you were a barista and you were single and you led a community group and your community group would hang out all night, six nights a week, and all of these people would get saved and then you got married and then you got a job and then the children came and you realized you can't be in two places at once. You can't be at sports practice and community group or, or suddenly your community group of eight adults also has 30 children in it and nobody at 31 can afford a house that can hold 30 children in it. Maybe you looked at your finances and you realized you can save for retirement or you can go on vacation, but you can't go on both. Earlier in the spring, I just, I just decided in my spirit I was going to take my family on a vacation to Nantucket out on the East Coast. I got all excited and then I looked at how much it costs to rent a place per night on Nantucket and realized we're not going to Nantucket. Maybe you've realized you can pay the electric bill or you can fix the car, but you can't do both. See what I'm saying? What do you do when confronted with life's limitations? How do you respond to the limitations that confront you in your life? Do you fight them? Do you run from them? Do you try to escape from them? Have you ever considered it might be possible to receive your limitations and maybe even be blessed by them? To, to receive the smallness and the limited nature of your life, perhaps as a gift? I think the text before us is very subtly asking, will you try to escape your limitations or will you face your reality? Will you run and numb and escape or Will you see if perhaps God has something good for me, for us, even in our limitations? Near the beginning, there's a very strange verse that if, if you were listening, um, probably sounded off to you. 
verse 4, the preacher says, A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. Some of us are forced to think about death, given the reality of our physical situations. I, I'm just curious, how many, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us are like, you know what, it's Tuesday at 2, that's when I think about death. How, how many of us are regularly facing our death? And yet, the scriptures just told us, wise people think about dying all the time, whereas fools only think about having a good time. Death is perhaps our greatest limitation. How often do you go there? How, how often do you ride your imagination to your own funeral? How often do you linger at the funerals you attend? And how often do you reflect on what you were confronted with after lingering at those funerals? Going back a verse, verse three, three, he says, Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. The limitation of your own funeral has the power to make you wise, yet do we listen? These limitations that we are faced with are declarations of reality. Escapism is running away into a fantasy world, and yet our limitations are saying something true to us about what's true for us, what is really going on in our lives. Facing our limitations plants our feet squarely in what is actually real, not in fantasies or dreams, but life as it actually is. And maybe you struggle thinking about or understanding what good could come. Doesn't that sound so morbid, thinking about dying all the time or reflecting on my funeral? What possible good could come from that? If you receive the limitation of your own life, the very first verse of this chapter will make some more sense to you. A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume. The day you die is better than the day you were born. And I know not every one of us is into perfume here, okay? You're not on eBay looking for perfume deals, so maybe this verse sounds weird to you. What this is saying is that the limitation of your life teaches you what really matters in your life. Your reputation, your character, your relationships are far more important, far more valuable than anything. Your reputation, your name, your relationships are more valuable than a house or a yacht or a record collection or fancy tools or big swaths of land or whatever it is that you're into. If you receive the limitation of your own death, of your funeral, that will make you value who you are over what you have. It'll make you value how you live and the way you love more than what you achieve or what you possess. In other words, to, to put it more precisely in the language of the scriptures, receiving the limitation of your own lifespan will make you wise. And the gift of wisdom, maybe you can guess, does not come easy, though. You will face the painful reality of your own death and all that that will mean for you. But also look at verse 5. He says, it's better to be criticized by a wise person than to be praised by a fool. It's better to be criticized by a wise person than praised by a fool. He's speaking to the limitations of our friendships here. You can't be close to very many people. So if you know you're going to die soon, if you set out to become a holy human, that's a person who values 
their reputation, their character, their relationships more than their achievements or possessions, then you will have to face the limitation of your friendships. So fools do things they, like they make jokes at funerals. The fool is the one who sits in the back row and hands you a flask and says, take a couple of sips, it'll, it'll ease the pain. Fools only know how to keep life light and easy. Beware the person who only knows how to laugh. Their words are hollow because they are not grounded in reality. Fools cannot face reality, which means they cannot speak into reality. They only know how to keep it light and easy, keep the laughter going, keep the music going. One more round. Let's just stay a little longer. A foolish friend will help you laugh, but they will never give you a timely word. You know what I mean by a timely word? They'll never tell you that thing that you need to hear that nobody else will tell you because they don't know if they can trust you or if you trust them or are we close enough. But a a true friend can speak into your life and tell you things that are difficult. A fool will never point out your shortcomings. They'll never point out your own foolishness. Fools only know how to say yes. Look at verse 8. Finishing is better than starting. Patience is better than pride. So fools will tell you how good you're doing and what a great idea that is, even though the last one is unfinished. Even though that project to redo your driveway hasn't been finished yet, they'll tell you how good the new deck sounds. They'll tell you, oh, this is wonderful. This is great. This new business startup idea, this new ministry idea, this new book idea, this new podcast idea. Oh, (laughs) how many podcasts we wouldn't have if people had friends, you know, like, I don't know if we need another one of those, buddy. Fools don't finish, and fools let you get away with not finishing. Let me put it to you simply. If you surround yourself with people who only know how to laugh and keep it light, you don't have friends. You have accomplices. You have people who are colluding with your own brokenness. You have people more committed to their good time than to your reputation and character. You can't be close to everyone, just like you're not going to live forever. So who will you be close with? What kinds of people will you allow into the inner circle of your life? You receive the limitation of your friendships by surrounding yourself with wise people. I'll put it to you another way. You can't listen to everyone. So who will you listen to? You should listen to some people. Don't make decisions by yourself. But if you, if you broaden the circle of your advisors too wide, that can be quite an overwhelming, confusing thing. And who's to say that everybody in your life should have equal say? Because some of the people in your life are fools, and some of them are wise. Who will you let in and who will you listen to? The ones who only say yes? The ones who only laugh and keep it light? Here's another example of what fools do in relationships. Verse 10. Don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. The foolish people in your life will sit back and say, it was so much better back then. It's just so much better then. Um, I got to have a little family conversation now for some folks who've been at Sojourn for a while. We hear this all the time, Uh, especially for people who come over here from Louisville. If you're here from Louisville, welcome. Peace be with you. You've you've crossed the dividing wall of hostility, right? The, The... the great Ohio River. 
but we hear this all the time. It comes up often in membership classes and in side conversations after church. People long for this mythical, magical day when Sojourn first started, as if there was something unique or there was some secret ingredient. And they'll say things like, I hope no one else comes to this church so we can keep it small like Sojourn in the good old days. And in those good old days, we didn't invite people to church and we didn't have signs in the church because you had to be cool to go to church. Do you know what a ridiculous bar that is for salvation in Jesus Christ? What makes the church of God? You have to be cool. Is that the good old days? It was so much darker there and loud. And if you were over 40, you couldn't read in church. And if you were over 50, you would leave and your ears would hurt. So you have to be young and healthy to go to church here. Is that, are those the good old days that we long for? So many people will say things like, this feels like we're in the 930 again, the good old days. And if that means nothing to you, then that's not the family conversation, right? You, you've come to the family after the fact. And, and what I'm telling you is those words are not real. Speaking of things decades in the past, not the reality of the moment, that is escapism, that is nostalgic foolishness. Escaping to the past blinds us to the beauty of this present moment. All of our life, all of our loves, all of our relationships are only experienced in the present moment, and we can't let fools drag us into the nostalgic past or the dreamy future. Some of the folks who feel most disconnected in our church are probably the ones who spend the most time about dreaming about the good old days. Our limitations teach us how to live into what is real. If you want to be wise, surround yourself with people who know how to say hard things to you, who love you present tense right now, and then listen to them. The, the amount of pain and heartache that could have been avoided in the last 20 years of the life in our church if people had listened to their friends. So, each one of us faced the limitation of a forthcoming funeral, and we each faced the limitation of friendships. Who will we be close to? How many will we let near? There, there's one more to sit with. Extortion turns wise people into fools. Bribes corrupt the heart. Then later, wisdom and money can get you almost anything, but only wisdom can save your life. So we've, there's three F's here, if you've noticed. I subtly became a Baptist subversively through the back door. Your funeral, your friendships, your finances. How far can your money get you? How far can good financial stewardship get you? Only so far. It cannot save your life. Your most precious possession is your soul, your character, your reputation, and the love of money can twist the heart. The allure of money can make you a fool because fools think money will solve all of their problems or will get them to the next fun event. Foolish friends give bad financial advice. Foolish people look to their money to save their lives, but at some point, each one of us will be forced to learn where the preacher concludes. Nothing is certain in this life. At some point, the money won't be enough or you'll have a problem that the money can't fix. The span, listen now, the span of your life is limited. Your relationships are limited and the reach of your finances is limited. 
The only way to live a real life is by receiving those limitations. By real, I mean it's good, it's true, and it's beautiful. You're actually living your life, present tense, here and now, not dreaming of a past or escaping to a future, but alive to who you are, where you are, and whose you are right now. And only right now can you find the presence of God that brings peace and power. Have you noticed that all of your life and loves, including your relationship with God, can only be experienced present tense? A long time ago, a man came to Jesus when Jesus was tired, when he was hungry, and he was thirsty. He offered Jesus something that would help make the situation light and easy. Some food. Have some food, Jesus. How bad could it be? Fools, keep it light and easy. Jesus is suffering. Let's make it light and easy. But thanks be to God, Jesus was no fool. The man thought maybe he could convince Jesus about a glorious future, his glorious purpose. Amen, anybody? Anybody? Oh, that was a low-key reference, a couple people, sorry. I won't do that in the next service, I'm sorry. He offered Jesus to become the king of the whole world. He used big, grandiose words like all. I'll give you all authority. All the kingdoms of the world will bow down to you. Such grandiose vision for someone who was hungry and dehydrated in the wilderness. <clears throat> Fools want to move on to the next big thing. Fools are all grandiosity trying to impress. Finally, the man tried to get Jesus to save his own life, calling angels to come and take care of him. Fools try to extend the span of their lives by holding tightly to it, and they will even couch it in religious language, grandiose acts of spiritual power. The story is recorded for us in Luke chapter 4. And the man who's talking to Jesus is Satan himself. The scriptures teach us that the core of Satan's teachings or temptations is a, re a rejection of our limitations. In the Garden of Eden, his original temptation was a rejection of limitation. Oh, you won't die. In fact, if you eat this, you'll be just like God you feel the grandiosity of that? You see, even from the earliest days, that our, the tempter, the accuser, the deceiver appeals to our grandiosity in these grand, large-scale visions of how big and amazing we could become. It feels so light and easy. You won't die. Let's just have a good time, guys. You could have it all. As we have seen in the story of our people and in the story of our own lives, the rejection of limitations only breaks us. Rejection of limitations only disconnects us from reality in all of our lives and all of our loves. I know it sounds foreign to so many of us, but receiving the gift of our limitations is the road to life. Accepting the fences around our lives, our capacities, our relationships, our finances, accepting that they can only go far, that is the road to life. Whereas our first parents gave in to the fool's temptation, Jesus rejected it at every step, and instead he receives the limitations. 
He says no to food, trusting that God will feed him. He says no to the grandiose invitation to rule the world, saying only God should be worshipped. He says no to spiritual acts of rescue, saying we're not to put God to the test. He says no to his eternal limitless existence and instead comes to a small corner of the universe he made. And I'm not sure we understood the gravity of what was read for us earlier. Philippians 2, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Pause there for a moment. Think of how much in our life we cling to the job, the retirement account, the status, whatever it might be, our very own lives and health, we, we cling to it. But Jesus instead gave up, gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. By receiving the gift of limitations. The gift of limitations? Didn't his limitations lead to his death on a cross? Yes. By receiving that, look what God gave to him. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In every limitation is the seed of resurrection. In every limitation is the seed of life and hope. In every limitation there is a window into the face of Christ who did not see his status as something to cling to, but rather who took upon himself willingly limitations. Receive your limitations as windows into the face of Christ, as the seeds planting the hope of resurrection and life. So as we come to the end, take a moment and just consider what limitation do you need to accept and face? What is a limitation that keeps confronting you that perhaps you keep fighting? What are you running from this morning? What are you running from? And are you willing to believe that staring deeply into that reality may in fact lead you to greater life in Christ? Are you willing to believe that facing that limitation may in fact lead you to the face of Christ? We call our minds now to the night Jesus was betrayed. He took a loaf of bread. He blessed God and thanked him for it. Blessed the bread and thanked God for it. And he looked at his friends and said, this is my body given for you. Eat this. Remember what I've done for you. In the same way, when the meal was over, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed with the shedding of my blood. Drink this as often as you eat in remembrance of me. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android 
where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.